You are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Support for Rootbound is provided by the Bud and Iris Bloomfield Foundation, a fake foundation dedicated to supporting real podcasts about real plants with fake advertising. downloading and listening to this episode of Rootbound. I am your host, and my name is Steve. And before we get into the interview segment for today, I wanted to talk a little bit about time. No, not the plant time. I actually talked about time a number of episodes ago. If you haven't heard it, go give it a download. No, but today I want to talk about time, you know, time as in the passage of. And more specifically, I want to talk about how time relates to plants. Uh, Something our guest today was talking about made me start thinking about how we as humans use plants as indicators of time. And it's something that humans have been doing for, since we've been humans, I think. Um, Just one example I can think of from the the podcast is both uh, me and my friend Imka on the episode about peaches were talking about how our peach trees And when they bloom is the first indicator for spring, but also the indicator of of good times ahead. And that is an example of using, you know, plant behavior as an indicator of time. And as I was researching this, I learned a new word. In fact, I learned about an entire new area of study, and that area of study is called phenology. And according to Wikipedia, phenology is the study of periodic events in biological life cycles and how these are influenced by seasonal and interannual variations in climate as well as habitat factors. So phenology is looking at those periodic things that that happen with plants, but also animals and and, and weather, things that happen every year, and, and studying them and learning from them. And it's pretty interesting because, you know, this is one of those things that is like is a study and it's very formalized now. But but phenology is something that humans have been doing, as I said, for forever. And, you know, I'm sure you can think of examples like that of like, well, when this flower pops up in the garden every year, it it's, means it's time to prep this other plant, etc. Um, one example of, uh, of phenology that I actually use every year, I didn't know it was phenology, but uh, I do, uh, related to my beekeeping my beekeeping mentor, Steve Rapaski, who I talked to on the show a number of episodes ago, taught me that when the dandelions are blooming in full bloom, that's the first indicator in the springtime that you need to start looking for signs of swarming in your honeybees. So those dandelions are this interesting indicator of time that I use in my beekeeping. Another interesting thing about phenology, though, is that study of these natural events over time and over long periods of time and what can we learn from how certain biological cycles change over time. And one really interesting thing we can learn from phenology is about the effects of climate change. Um, And I found one really excellent example from uh, this study that was done related to the cherry blossoms in Kyoto, Japan. And the peak blossom date for the cherry blossoms 
in Kyoto has been measured since going back to like the year 800 AD, so a very long time, and there is really detailed charts of that peak blossom date. And if you look at that chart, you can see that starting around the year 1800, that peak blossom date has been getting earlier and earlier. And in fact, uh, in 2021, the peak blossom date was the earliest date in, in 1,200 years. Um, but, you know, it's not just that year. If you look at the average over time, there's a clear trend of earlier and earlier peak blossom dates. And so that's phenology teaching us about the impacts of climate change. I thought that was really fascinating. Um, so thank you for letting me share my new, uh, my new knowledge about phenology. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that. And let's just get right into our guest segment. Hi, Eric. Thanks for coming to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, just to set the scene a little bit for the, the listeners at home, uh, we are sitting in a park in D.C., so there is some ambient automobile sounds, <laughs> as well as some bird sounds. Uh, if there is a uh, fire truck or ambulance going by, I might stop and pause. We'll see. There is a fire station around the corner. But oh, I didn't know that. Hopefully that won't happen. It happened once while I was sitting here before, but but cross your fingers that we'll have clean audio, but, you know, use your imagination. If there's a weird jump audience, that's where an edit point has happened. But yes, Eric, do you have a plant to share with us today? I do, I do. Uh, I am going to talk about the Alicosia poly today. Alicosia poly, and this is a house plant? It's a house plant. It is called an Amazonian elephant ear, uh, oh, more okay. broadly known. Uh, so you'll see different variations of that plant that are grown indoors, outdoors. Uh, the version that I'm speaking about is a more compact indoor plant. Uh, mm. grows to about two feet and was the first house plant that I purchased when I moved to D.C. Okay, very interesting. I, uh, house plants are a little bit of a blind spot for me. I, I, you know, actually this whole podcast is just so I can learn about plants. I, I, you know, the more I talk to people, the more I realize I don't know. But I've only had one other house plant on the podcast so far. And I'm really not good at keeping it alive, so I'm very interested <laughs> to hear about this plant. And I, I might, it's bringing up some, some memories perhaps, but let's go forward. Why, why did you, you said a little bit it was your first house plant, but maybe you could go a little bit more about why is this plant meaningful to you? Yeah, um, you know, when you go through big change and you have, you know, larger scale events that happen in your life, you, you like to, to be able to hold on to things. And I like to be able to care for things kind of naturally. Uh, I've worked in the service industry in the past and, you know, caring about things of caring about people is, is in my nature. So this is something that's really important to me because it just marked a point of my life in which I had to do something, you know, a little bit more selfless, take time, you know, on a schedule out of my week to to really dedicate to something and you know not that there haven't been other things in my life that that qualify as that but this just was just something a little bit different mm -hmm. and i have you know a bit of a history when it comes to to outdoor gardening you know growing you know food if you will mm -hmm. uh, beans tomatoes watermelon uh, a whole host of things and and when i when i lived in pittsburgh i actually had a lot more space so that was a little bit more yeah. of the reality of my relationship with plants Moving to D.C. and having a, a bit of a different 
kind of setting, uh, if you will, a little bit less space, even though you know, DC has beautiful green space uh, in terms of living. I didn't have that outdoor area in which I could do gardening, in which I could grow you know, my own food. And so I shifted that focus into something that I could keep indoors and, and really you know, turn my focus to something a little bit different that I hadn't done before. Very interesting. So it, it's it's almost like you know this this plant came into your life around the time you made this move, from, and it's and like the the plant has been growing with you in this new stage of your life. If we want to get metaphorical, absolutely nice. Absolutely, nice. I I think about when I first purchased this plant and it was tiny, and now I look at it, and I'm like, I can't believe I haven't killed you yet. <laughs> Very good. Um, well, what about some fun facts and dazzling details about Alcosia poly? Yeah. So. This is a plant, again, known as an Amazonian elephant ear, uh, but it has no affiliation with the Amazon. Okay. (laughs) It actually comes from uh, tropical portions of Asia. Okay. And it is this beautiful plant that has, like, these very tubular veins that are very striking, and it has this beautiful reflection to, like, this waxy reflection to the leaves. Mm. Uh, Deep green color. Uh, absolutely beautiful, and it's it's such a nice kind of centerpiece for for where it sits in my home. It it's it's absolutely fantastic to look at. It's a it's a nice reminder every day. It's the first thing I see when I come downstairs, and it's it's just a nice reminder. Interesting. Do you happen to know why it's called Amazonian, even though it's not from the Amazon? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's it's because, and I would assume this is sure. Again, a yeah, gross we, we're assumption. okay with assuming cool. on the show, and we also always are happy to say, audience, please Google it because yeah. <laughs> um, I I know this plant to be a plant that thrives on humidity, thrives in a, a more tropical environment. And I think that it got wrapped up into a number of different plants. It's like, oh, this is similar, and it thrives in this similar environment. So that's probably where that came from. Interesting. Yeah, it reminds me when I was talking about... Uh, um, man, why am I blanking on the name of that plant? Like, you know, what's the house plant that everyone... A philodendron? Not philodendron. Monstera. Monstera, that's yes. it. I can't, yeah, that, that was the only other houseplant we talked about on this podcast. And when we were talking about that, we kind of came to that fact that a lot of houseplants are tropical plants. Mm-hmm. And it's because I think, one, uh, they're better at dealing with shade because the jungle is very shady. Mm-hmm. And two, uh, you, can, you can keep the humidity more regular, I guess, inside. And in a lot of places where it goes between dry and really wet, you can be more stable. Um, so I think that's interesting. But also, I think during that time when houseplants became popular in the Victorian area, there's just a bunch of colonists, guys, running around the world grabbing plants. Yeah, it's like, oh, cool, <laughs> cool. Uh, I've never seen this before. I'm going to take this. I'm yeah. going to take this back. And you're like, where was this one from? Yeah, Amazon. Definitely <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> they don't even know where they actually are. <laughs> yeah. At least it wasn't uh, At least it wasn't something that just Bezos decided to rename. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not that. <laughs> I, I wish that people could have actually seen my reaction to that. <laughs> um, so what about like uh, what about with this plant plant care wise? Oh, here's here comes the uh, the uh, fire truck. Maybe we'll pause. Maybe we'll make through it. Plant care. How, how do we care for this plant? So uh, we are in the warmer months, the growing season for this plant right now. So a weekly watering, a daily misting. Uh, you like to keep the first kind of two inches of the soil you know dry that's when you go back to water it Mm. Uh, but keeping everything sort of slightly damp is the way to go for that and again to try to keep up humidity that's why you have all the misting it's a really simple plant to take care of Uh, and I've had some other you know quote unquote simple plants to take care of that I've not 
made it very far with. And so this is a plant that, that's hardy. It, it's, you know, survived a move. And, you know, in the winter, it's something that you pull back on watering on. Mm -hmm. uh, in it's more dormant season, you water it, you know, I water it every two weeks, every three weeks. It, it gets a little bit less of a regular schedule in the winter, uh, but it does like to be a little bit drier in those cooler months. Interesting, interesting. Um, so I was mentioning about, you said elevenir. I don't know if you know, is is how broad of a term of that plant is elephant ear? Because the reason I'm asking is because my I now just remember that my grandma had in her back of her yard in Texas these elephant ears, and they're quite mm -hmm. large. Yeah, large, I know them as being elephant ears, but I don't know if they're all related or if it's like a bigger classification. So I believe it's a bigger classification. Yeah. Um, I know that they have some similarities. They're both toxic plants mm. to to pets and humans. Mm -hmm. uh, they have those very similar, you know, very striking veins, mm -hmm. and. I'm not certain if they are in the same family. I know that this plant goes by a number of other names, the black mask, African mask plant, uh, mm. things of that nature. Uh, but I could not tell you if they're actually the same. I mean, they would have to be the way that they look. Mm -hmm. uh, you would assume that they were in the same family, but yeah. I, I can't. Google it, audience, yeah, please. Yeah, Google yeah, it. for sure, for sure. What, what were some of those other names you said? Uh, there's the black mask, the African mask plant. Uh, what else is there? Elephant ear, Amazonian elephant ear. Um, all seem to be having to do with the shape of the leaf, I guess. All yeah. those names, yeah. Yeah, and I think that it's the most noticeable thing about the plant is that they all have this very similar, you know, almost heart-shaped leaf. Uh, mm -hmm. But it does, you know, resemble that elephant's ear. Interesting. And then maybe maybe one last question is, you yeah. know, you said this is the first plant you bought when you moved, but what particularly drew you to this plant? Why was the plant that you first chose for your first plant when you moved to D.C.? It was on sale. <laughs> Where did you I, get it? I purchased that at Rewild. Oh, I don't know that. Uh, they are over on 7th. Hmm. Close to like 7th and S Northwest. And they, you know, they have a beautiful selection of wild plants, larger, smaller. And when I decided to, to kind of make this purchase, I... I dove in on that and I was like, okay, I'm going to take care of this. And then I kind of went back and I was like, well, a few of these other things would actually be cool to have around the house as well. But that plant uh, was <laughs> was discounted. And so I, <laughs> I, I made that, that purchase first. I was like, low risk, low, re you know, low risk, low reward situation mm -hmm. here. What's turned into a high reward situation because I still have it. Very cool. And now how many plant house plants do you have at this time? <sighs> at least 20. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's something that, that definitely went off the rails a little bit there. Yeah. And I'm also including in my kitchen, there's a plant wall that came with the house that I rent. Oh. Like, it's not mine, but I, it was, you know, fairly empty when cool. I moved in. And it is now completely full. That's super cool. Um, another thing you mentioned, I think, is a reason why I haven't really gotten into house plants is because I do have cats. Mm -hmm. I think that's always an issue, the toxicity. Um, so maybe this Alcosia is not going to be coming into my life anytime but you know it i i also have a dog okay and my dog is not interested in any of my plants which is really fantastic that's good i know that some people don't have that fortune with their animals and they they like to play with different things yeah. but i've been super fortunate in the in the plants that i've brought into my house and my dog just doesn't seem to care about them yeah my cats do get interested in plants we had a fern for a while and it was a, a fern and a palm and they were both very fascinated by them. I can't do ferns. Yeah? No. I've I've tried two in my life and they've yeah. never made it very long at all. 
we have now just think about it we haven't talked about any ferns on the podcast yet i wonder if that'll come up at some point but they're weird plants they, they are weird they don't plants. have seeds and they reproduce uh, themselves by, by uh the yeah uh what's this what's the spores by yeah. spores i was a. Uh, this is totally off topic but i was reading something online recently about basically like for so long people just didn't know how they reproduce and they thought they were some kind of weird magical plant because you didn't have <laughs> seeds and they're like how does this work yeah i'm so glad that comprehension has come a long way from from when we thought that things were magic yeah <laughs> totally um cool do you have any other fun facts or dazzling details about alcosia uh i don't i don't have any other you know super fun facts about the plant i i use this plant app and it often gives like interesting poems mm. um and I, I had looked into that, and the poem is just very, very strange. And it's like, <laughs> I don't want to be associated with that. Okay, that's, that's fair. What, what is this plant app, if you don't mind sharing that? Uh, it is called Picture This. Oh, yeah, I know that. I didn't realize there were poems in there. I'm start looking for the poems. Yeah, if you, you go into the plant care, it'll give you like either poems or like songs or historical facts about the plant itself. All right, well, maybe I'll include that in the show notes so yeah. you don't have to be associated with a weird poem. <laughs> <laughs> but we find it. Uh, um, very yeah, find it and enjoy it for yourselves. Just don't think of me when you do it. Error. Weird poem about allocation not found. Please try again later. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing about Alcosia poly with me. Do you mind if I share a plant with you? I would love for you to tell me about a plant. Okay. So um, what the audience doesn't know at this point is we've both been drinking a beverage here that I made. And, and, and the audience will know that I um, have a tendency to make mead as a beekeeper. And this is another wild fermented mead. Um, actually, I'm going to... F- I'm, I'm trying... I said I wasn't going to pour on on a camera, but let me... Uh, here, I'll camera. pour for you. I wasn't going to pour on mic. But now uh, I'm going to. Uh, Eric is going to pour. I've got a little filter here because there's still a little bit of like wax particles in this mead. Uh, yeah, that's good. Thank you. Um, you want to top up there too, or? I'm okay. Okay. And um, so anyway, I have this bottle of mead because I like to make mead. And um, I don't know, Eric, if you want to give some like thoughts on the taste of this beverage that you're drinking, as you said did before. Yeah. So a. You know, looking at this has a really beautiful color to it. Super dry, very fresh, very refreshing. Uh, I was saying that it had like a, a, a mild bitterness, kind of reminding me of hops. It's a, a really nice floral character to it, and you know, super clean finish makes you want to go back for more after the uh, the first sip. Well, that is 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 a high praise from you. So thank you for that description. Um, you know, this this is. I believe something. that counts as an endorsement. <laughs> What's that? I believe that counts oh, as an wow, endorsement. That's amazing. I'm gonna quote that and put it on the bottle. Um, this is the only bottle of this that will ever exist. <laughs> that's the way I make my meat <laughs> is in super small batches. So literally, this is it. Um, but uh, the reason I bought this this mead today is because the plant I'm going to talk about is incorporated in here. So this is mead, which is essentially honey wine. But I've been experimenting with adding stuff to my mead during the fermentation process. And uh, let's see where to start maybe just going back to the first episode of the podcast my friend Ashley talked about a plant called mimosa and I was very confused because I thought I have a mimosa tree in my backyard which I do mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with a mimosa mm-hmm. tree but she was talking about another plant called mimosa pudica which is this little shrub, this little like tiny plant that when you touch it it curls up oh really and they have the same name and I was very confused because I was like wait what's the deal with this and, and, and it turns out is that they are two plants with the same name that are unrelated to each other mimosa the plant that Ashley was talking about is this tropical plant that, yeah, when you touch it, it moves, which is really cool. Uh, the the mimosa tree is more commonly or better named the Persian silk tree. And I actually need to get out my notes here. Um, 
So that's that's its probably more accurate name, but in this part of the world, we call it mimosa. And and that's a little bit, I was like, it took me a long time to kind of break down the mystery of why it's called the mimosa, why the other plant is also called mimosa, and why there is a drink called the mimosa. Yes. This mead is mimosa mead. I incorporated mimosa flowers into okay. the mead. So if you like think a little bit about the smell of a mimosa flower and then think about the taste, maybe there's a little bit of a, of a connection there. Um, this is a mimosa mead, but nothing to do with a mimosa drink, which is simply champagne and orange juice. Um, so let me break down the names a little bit first, because that it took me surprisingly long. Like, why is this happening? So the original plant that my friend Ashley talked about, mimosa pudica, it's called mimosa because that word meme or mime mm-hmm. is that is a plant that memes or mimics a living like an animal because it moves when you touch it it's a like mimic it's a mimicking uh, like any sort of animal behavior right right. so that's where that name mimosa comes from the tree mimosa as far as i can tell is named mimosa because the leaves kind of look the leaves and flower kind of look like the mimosa pudica plant oh so they someone said oh that kind of looks like that mimosa okay let's call it the mimosa tree but where does the drink come in (laughs) because the drink is orange juice and, and, and uh, champagne, and nothing about the mimosa tree or plant is like orange or like... Yeah. Or and prestigious. Like, right, <laughs> right. And I was like, what is the deal with this? And so what I think I finally determined is that there is another tree that's actually in a different genus in Australia that leaves kind of look like the mimosa tree we know or look like the mimosa plant but it has these bright orange flowers. They also call it the mimosa. So the drink is named after the Australian plant called mimosa, unrelated to the Persian silk tree or the other one. So, yes. So we <laughs> we took from Australia a name for a wine, for a, a beverage yeah. that uses traditionally Italian sparkling wine and orange juice. And it, it like the, the connection to the wine world for all of this is kind of wild <laughs> because even now in Australia, you have this kind of new birth of of winemakers who are working with all of these Italian varieties and so it kind of comes full circle back around to to, in a second circle I I suppose Uh, and it makes that super interesting it makes it you know that completely unconnected connection yeah very very interesting you could now probably go to Australia and sit under a mimosa tree and have an actual mimosa yes and I still this is a mystery audience if you know this out there somewhere I still don't know who named the mimosa drink the mimosa and why like they knew about this tree in Australia I tried to google it audience if you're google, better at googling than me please let me know <laughs> gotta go past that first page yeah it, it's it's tricky Good, you, that's when this podcast I always go past the like level of common understanding because what happens on google you search something and then everyone gives you the same answer but no one actually tells you the next level beneath it and nope. then that's where it's it's hard so anyway that's why it's called the mimosa tree the scientific name is albizia julibrisson and albizia is named after this uh italian guy named al albizzi um I don't think he has anything to do with Italian sparkling wine. Um, but, yeah, he was an Italian guy. And then Jula Brisson is apparently a um, mispronunciation of a Persian word, which is Jul E. Brisham. I'm probably butchering that, which means silk flower. So Persian, Persian sil- silk. silk flower. That's what it's called. And it's called that. If you've ever seen Mimosa, uh, I'm, always, I'm just deciding which horn is too bad to keep continuing with the podcast. So far, so good. Uh, the reason why it's called the silk flower, if you've ever seen the mimosa tree, you'll think about those flowers. It has these just, they look like little pom-poms, you know, little pink pom-poms. Mm-hmm. 
and they have these individual threads, which is, they look like little silk threads, which is cool. Um, what's really interesting about that flower is that it's a flower with no petals. Those are all stamens. They're all pollen-producing parts, so it has no petals, which is wow. interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that, that's 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 pretty cool. Um, it's leaves. I don't know if you've ever noticed about this. I have one in my backyard, so I notice it all the time, but it's not as common maybe to notice if you're not around one all the time, but when it is dark, the leaves fold up. So I... I feel like I have noticed that before. Yeah. I feel like I've, you know, I I've had neighbors who have who have had those and kind of walking past them at different parts of the day. It's like, it's different. Is that a different? No, no, it's the same. No, it just looks different. So, you telling me that actually yeah. just made a few things click in my head there. Yeah. So so that's that's pretty interesting. And also, I think like the mimosa pudica, the 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 plant that moves. That's what happens with the mimosa pudica when you touch it. This one, it just happens at night. Mm-hmm. Um, I just learned this literally today when I was brushing up on my notes that the Persian name, and this is also, I'm going to try to pronounce it, but apologies, uh, Shab Kosb in Persian means night sleeper. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Um, A little mini dormancy, which is, that would explain that whole thing, yeah. Yeah, really really interesting. And I, ima- I, would, I would guess, I didn't read this, but I would guess the reason it does that is to... Uh, to keep water in when it's not photosynthesizing. You're in a dry place like Persia. You need to photosynthesize, but when there's no sun out, why would you like Waste keep your energy. leaves yeah. out? And, and so that's that's probably a way to keep water. Uh, at least that's my assumption. Um, the uh, the flowers are edible, which I just learned recently, which is why I put them in this mead, which is which is cool. Um, it is not native to this part of the country. It is, is native to uh, to the Middle East and I think parts of China, but is widely introduced and some people argue invasive uh, here in this part of the country. And that's maybe where just the last little... Um, let's see, did I get everything? I did. Yeah, maybe the last little bit is I've been, I've been asking myself on this podcast the last several episodes of like, what lessons does this plant have for me? And this is one that I'm actually borrowing from someone. I when I first kind of went on my journey with mimosa for a long time, I just kind of disregarded mimosa. Like I'm really into like edible plants. I didn't realize it was edible. Yeah. And, you know, flowers are cool, but I was never like, oh, pretty flowers. But uh, I was I was like well, scrolling through Instagram, and this account I follow comes up. This says a guy named Justin Robinson. His account is Country Gentleman Cooks, and he calls himself Botany Bay, but B A E, which I thought is clever. <laughs> um, he had this really interesting video about mimosa, which I'll link in the show notes, but uh, and, and really poignant in a bunch of ways. I don't want to repeat his words, but the kind of things that stood out to me is, is one is that mimosa in, I guess, traditional Chinese medicine is a, is a medicine for anti-anxiety and anti-stress. And then he made this connection between, you know, it is an invasive plant, and this is something we talk about in this podcast quite a bit, but invasive plants do need to be invited. And, and so how do we balance this, like, issue of it being invasive maybe being uh having you know being problematic in some ways but still it is part of the environment it was invited and then can you look at an invasive plant and its abundance for what that plant is offering you and think about how that can fit in and so maybe when you see mimosa you can think about calmingness mm-hmm. and and kind of take that message from mimosa so anyway that's that's the lesson that i you know i got it from this guy uh botany bay but I think that's what I think about now every single mimosa, which is what inspired me to try to make mimosa mead this year, which is what we're enjoying. Now, do you find that you're going to make other things from this? Is there going to be mimosa tea? Is, are there going to be 
other projects that you're going to undertake with this? Maybe. I think, uh, you know, next year, mimosa flowers are mostly gone now on my tree anyway. Um, you can make jellies and syrups, which I want to try. Tea, I think you can do as well. I, I should try tea. That's actually a good point. Um, but I will, I will make mead again next year. Like, mead is my thing. And maybe I'm going to start my next kind of journey with mead is mixing different things. Right now I've been doing mead with one single additive, but I haven't tried like mixing different ones. So that's something I want to play with and just like see what else I can explore. And, and you know, I think I was like pretty happy with the results of this mead. Um, and so we'll, we'll see if I can improve more and more. Yeah. yeah. I think that, you know, you're going to run into some really fun chemistry as you start to add things and make these more complex, but you, you have a super solid base here of what you're working with and working off of. Uh, so I look forward to tasting future projects from you. Cool, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, and uh, let's chat again soon. Oh, thank you so much. gone deeper into the Google results for the cocktail mimosa, and I thought I would share some of that with you now. Um, I did some research, and I found some interesting articles about the history of the cocktail, including a very in-depth article from MyRecipes.com by Robert Moss that is uh, a deep dive and explains how the mimosa became the official drink of brunch. Um, I highly recommend reading it. Very interesting. But just a few details from that and some other places that I have gleaned that I didn't have answers for when I was talking to Eric about the cocktail mimosa. First is that tree called mimosa from Australia is apparently quite popular in France. And that is probably how the cocktail got its name because there was a reference to mimosa cocktail in the cocktail book of a bartender named Frank Meyer, who was the bartender at the Ritz bar in Paris, and he probably didn't invent the mimosa, but he wrote about it in his book. And then there was a drink going around for a long time in France that was just called the Champagne Orange, which apparently was just a mimosa, but at some point someone decided to name it after the tree, at least that's what I suspect. And then probably the most dazzling detail about the mimosa cocktail is probably the reason why we all drink it today is because it was popularized by the one and only Alfred Hitchcock. Apparently, that guy loved drinking mimosas and he shared it with everybody. And it's how it became the famous cocktail we know today. So, one little last dazzling detail before we end the show. And thanks for listening. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Eric Moore. Eric is the Director of Sales and Customer Engagement at Domestique, a natural wine store in Washington, D.C. Rootbound is hosted by me, mimosa fan, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. But if you can go outside, pour yourself mimosa. It's a perfect drink to have outside. The Bud and Iris Bloomfield Foundation. It's fake.